You are listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 65. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today on the show, I am extremely excited to be bringing back someone who was a regular guest on the show early on, Ben Mirren. Ben was the host of a recurring segment on the podcast called The Birds and the Beats, in which he composed songs that blended animal vocalizations and natural sounds with his own beatboxing. Many of these songs were tied to the interview segments that we were featuring on the show at the time. He wrote a song using vulture vocalizations, as well as one that represented the fire-adapted ecosystem that is the home to the Texas horned lizard. It's been over a year since Ben has been on the podcast, and he's taken this unique idea of combining natural sounds with beatboxing to a whole new level in that time. He now has his own TV show that airs on Nat Geo Kids called Wild Beats, and he has traveled the world recording animal vocalizations, collaborating with researchers, and writing new songs. I am super stoked to have him on the show today to share with us some of these new developments and to talk about how his music has evolved over the past year. Let's jump in. All right, I'm here with Ben Mirren, who is a sound artist and wildlife recordist and also the host of the new TV series Wild Beats from Nat Geo Kids. Uh, How are you, Ben? Doing well, Matt. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's really awesome to have you on the show, Ben. Um, we've been collaborating for a while, and it's it's really nice to have this come full circle and to be able to talk about this um, really exciting new TV series that you're now a part of called Wild Beats. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's sort of the first thing I, that I want to ask you about is is this new television series. Um, you know, maybe you can just provide us with uh, a brief synopsis of the show for folks who haven't seen it yet. What What is Wild Beats all about? Wild Beats is a series of music videos that portray me as DJ Ecotone creating music from the sounds of different landscapes and different ecosystems. Each episode takes us to a specific place in the world, whether it's the Great Barrier Reef, the Sonoran Desert, the rainforests of Southeast Asia, and plays a lot of those natural soundscapes and then rebuilds them into composed beats that combine the voices of animals in that ecosystem with my voice as a beatboxer. And the idea behind the show is to get people engaged with nature by tuning into the music of a particular place. And in each episode, they get to see not just me making the music, but also amazing videos of the animals themselves, often paired with the sounds as they enter the mix. So there's a visual reinforcement of what's happening musically so that we can really start to learn what it's like to listen to a particular place. So where can folks go to check out the show? People can see the show online. It's on the National Geographic Kids YouTube channel and their website, but it's also airing on Nat Geo Wild on Saturday mornings as part of the Nat Geo Wild Kids block, which goes from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern time every Saturday morning. And that was a really exciting and unanticipated development, but I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share what was originally a web series now on television as well. It's pretty cool. 
so I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about this art form that you've created and, and how this has evolved over the past couple of years that you've been working on this. I, I mean, it's it's just such a, a fascinating idea, um, you know, this concept of, you know, creating your own sort of musical stylings uh, through beatboxing with natural sounds and animal vocalizations from a specific ecosystem. But f- folks really have to to hear this and see you in action in order to yeah. really understand what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first, I, I want to give our listeners a, a, a taste of, of what we're talking about here. Of course. And I think one of the great ways is to start with one of my favorite beats from the series. This is made in the Sonoran Desert, and it uses exclusively the sounds of wildlife that live in the southwestern United States in this desert habitat. And it creates a really crazy, almost trap EDM style rhythm um, that synthesizes the sounds of cougars, of bobcats, of the cactus wren and various other bird species. And of course, my beatboxing to kind of back them all up. Wow. So I, I must say, Ben, that, you know, we've been collaborating for a while, but you continue to, to blow me away with the amazing soundscapes <laughs> that you're able to create really cool stuff. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see how um, how this idea has evolved over time. I want to trace the idea for this uh, sort of unique musical language that you've created uh, back to its origin. So clearly there are two strong interests of yours at play here, uh, one being creating music through beatboxing um, and the other being a, a strong passion for wildlife and the outdoors. So let's start with the beatboxing. How did this first become an interest for you? Beatboxing is something that very much like the natural world chose me. I was not exposed to hip hop or beatboxing in particular as a child. I grew up in the suburbs of Massachusetts with two psychiatrists for parents. I'm sure when they found me beatboxing at age eight or nine, they were medically fascinated. (laughs) (laughs) When I got my initial start, I remember coming home and watching Saturday morning cartoons on Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, etc., and trying to imitate the theme songs back at the television. And my parents would both walk in and just see their son looking at the television going... 
And that's just something that I've done naturally. I've been a natural noisemaker basically my whole life. And beatboxing emerged as the culture, the basis, the outlet for what seemed to be evidently a natural talent. And it's been really rewarding for me over the past few years to connect with other beatboxers, other mouth musicians who are really pushing the craft and exploring the physical and creative capacities and limits of our vocal cords. And then, of course, testing those limits constantly. Um, it gives me a, a it constantly re- reinvigorates my sense of what one can achieve musically with just your voice. You know, when, when I listen to to your music, I mean, the, the, the type of music that you're that you're producing now, which is this combination of of beatboxing and natural sounds. I mean, it's. I find myself trying to figure out like which, you know, because I mean, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell, like which of those uh, noises are coming from, you know, uh, an animal and which is coming from from your mouth. Um, I mean, it's like the the, the, the sounds that you're able to create. Um, it's it, it's really amazing. <laughs> well, that's kind of, <laughs> Thanks. And, and that's kind of the harmony of the music, right? Because all the sounds are vocal in some way. Whether they come from me or from a wild animal is, well, I guess there's not much of a a distinction there. (laughs) But um, whether they come from me or another species, let's say, uh, it it all represents a combination of vocal acrobatics from the human and animal worlds that I think brings us closer together in, in an artistic way and allows us to treat music as a bridge to the natural world through which we can engage with wildlife and ultimately wildlife conservation more creatively as well as scientifically. Yeah, and I, I love that perspective that you have on this, you know, and that's that's one of the things that is is most appealing to me about about what you're doing mm-hmm. is the fact that that you treat it as this bridge to the natural world um, and this sort of connection, like you say, you know, you're just another animal, um, you know, making these noises and sort of <laughs> experimenting with what you can do with with your vocal cords, you know, in the same way that that a bird is, you know, uh, <laughs> doing the same kind of thing, you know. Um, so I mean, how did your beatboxing evolve over time you know how did you go from that point where you're eight or nine years old you know sort of replicating sounds that you hear on tv um to where you're at now i mean um did you like i mean did you ever play as like a part of a larger band or or you know maybe beatboxing competitions (laughs) well oddly enough i actually transitioned from making sounds alone in my house to trying to make friends in middle school by doing animal impressions. So the bridge to animals, I think, arrived quite early on, even though it wasn't necessarily intentional. I was pretty awkward in middle school and had uh, had some animal impressions in my back pocket to kind of have my moment to shine before I retreated back into the corner as like the awkward fifth grader that I was. So I would do things like a cow impression. And people would be like, oh, it's the cow. Oh, my God. And then that would be it. <laughs> that was my moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, really cool, right? <laughs> um, and and uh, then it evolved from there to kind of the, the very early stages of Internet videos. I remember seeing some people on the Internet actually doing beatboxing and not having heard what beatboxing was. I sort of was curious what this was supposed to be. And then I saw a guy going, beep, and i said that guy's just doing the cow with some other sounds attached to it (laughs) i can do that (laughs) so uh it quickly became apparent to me that i had a backlog a lifetime supply of 
vocal noises that I could add to this arsenal as a beatboxer almost immediately. And I arrived at college and did a couple of impromptu performances and people just suddenly identified me as that beatbox kid. Um, I got brought into a couple different acapella groups early on. And then after graduating school, moved overseas for a while to Japan, where I entered the underground hip hop scene um, in the evenings and weekends. And I kind of divided my time between doing ornithological research because I was living in Hokkaido where it's gorgeous and there are tons of uh, amazing habitats for wildlife. And then going into these literally underground passageways in the downtown uh, urban areas near my near my house and meeting with rappers and other beatboxers in Japan and discovering that I kind of divided my time, my free time anyway, equally between these two separate passions. So both things have consistently stayed with me through every different phase of my life. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about, since you asked, uh, the origin of birds. My mom bought me a book on penguins when I was like three and a half, and it literally just took off from there. And you'll have to forgive the consistent use of unintentional bird puns. I I consistently feel lamer and lamer listening to myself talk about it, but uh, (laughs) the... um, it, it really, it, but it really did take off. I started going to all of these uh, different wildlife programs as a kid and going to the aquariums on the weekends. And my mom and dad were really encouraging of that interest in the natural world. And at the same time, that didn't have the cool factor, I think, that beatboxing had through a lot of my teenage years um, and then into college. So it kind of took a backseat in some ways. and It was really more of a personal passion, something that I did on my own time. Uh, but then I moved to New York City a couple of years ago. And for the first time, I felt cut off from the wilderness and really separated from the birds that had always been in my backyard before then. Now that I live in New York, even the songs of birds outside my windows are sometimes hard to hear over the traffic. So I started to think about different ways to regain access to the natural world. And I came to New York with an eagerness to improve my chops as a beatboxer. New York has one of the best beatboxing scenes in the country, if not the world. And so I was immediately in good company. But because I was missing out on all these birds, I just kind of got it into my head that I might try using music, the thing I was practicing already in my spare time, as a way to reconnect with nature. So I, I purchased a set of sounds of birds from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Macaulay Sound Library. Um, and it's a great little set, has about 5,000 different sounds. They're all tagged with locations, so you know where they all come from. So I started with New York Birds and made a couple of tunes, just combining my voice with some recordings of birds that I had purchased from this library. And people really seemed to resonate with the idea of bringing together two dissonant interests into a single cohesive musical idea and that that cohesion is something that i could not have anticipated but i think the way that it resonated with my audience as a way to really represent who i was was kind of first and foremost the most impactful and effective way of testing the waters so to speak i mean i i remember i first met you ben at the wildlife conservation film festival a couple of years back right. <laughs> um i don't think we even talked at all about beatboxing but, you know, we agreed to have that follow up conversation. And, you know, I think these ideas had started to develop and you started sort of talking to me about, you know, this concept of combining beatboxing with natural sounds. You know, I am someone who also has this shared interest in music um, and wildlife and birds specifically. Um, and I mean, I distinctly remember attending an ornithological conference um, in upstate New York when I was an undergrad in, in college. And, uh, attending this seminar on the science 
of bird vocalizations. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, w- watching these researchers sort of present, you know, the bird sounds in this really unique way. And I remember sitting there and having the thought of like, man, it would, it would be really cool to like take these sounds and like turn it into like a song, like, you know, to make it like music that, that, that somebody would actually, you know, want to sit down and listen to. Um, and I didn't have the, the, the skill set, you know, or the musical chops to, to sort of make that happen. So the idea sort of immediately died um, <laughs> once it was formed <laughs> in my brain. But like when you told me that, you know, over the phone, um, when we had that follow-up conversation, I mean, it, it immediately brought me back to that. And I was like, you know, that is, is such such a cool idea. And, you know, the fact that it was combined with your beatboxing, um, I think just adds this really unique element to it because like you said, I mean, it's just, it's just another animal making sounds, uh, with their face. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I think I appreciate you saying that, Matt. And, and that's one of the things that I could not have anticipated and that I'm really grateful for having now explored this more deeply, um, and professionally really. Um, I think everybody feels an innate sense of connection to the musicality of nature, whether or not they are aware of it. And what's really exciting about birdsong and other animal vocalizations is that they are so musical to our ears, but they also represent language that's evolved over millions of years and tells a story of a, of a constantly changing relationship between a voice and a landscape. And that narrative is broken down into elements of physiology, behavior, and of course, the changing natural environment. And and that's another thing that has emerged out of exploring where this music can go as a storytelling device is, is discovering that there's a lot of science to be conveyed and captured in the compositional process as well. So it's something that I didn't necessarily set out to do, but have stumbled across and am really excited about. Um, being able to describe to people What's happening scientifically when they listen to a soundscape is is a really exciting thing because in a way, that is already a perfect symphony. It's already an orchestra dictated by millions of years of evolution to be shaped in a very specific and precise way. And then as you educate more people about that, inevitably you come across the subjects of human encroachment on those soundscapes and how we affect the natural world and sound is a part of that and it's a really remarkable thing to be able to as a musician and a storyteller find that your ideas have enough momentum that that suddenly the work is not about you that's really the the most rewarding thing is that i get to be a translator for these orchestrated ecosystems and kind of a messenger for what's really exciting about studying wildlife in the natural world and um yeah, I, I, it's just really a privilege to be able to to share those things because I'm I'm in a constant state of discovery myself. People ask me, you know, what's your favorite animal sound, and I can't answer that question except to say, well, the one I haven't heard yet because I'm still learning too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really unique way to inspire people to get out outside and to experience, you know, what it's like to hear those those natural sounds and those animal vocalizations, you know, firsthand. I mean, it's, it's sort of the same way that, that I view um, a lot of the documentary film work that I do is, you know, what my, my true goal is to inspire people to get out and experience it firsthand. You know, yes. if, if I accomplish that, then I see it as a success. People, people can only get so much before they need to see it for themselves. And I feel the same way. I mean, starting with recordings from libraries, I suddenly realized, you know, I got to go record these for myself. 
And so now I've been really lucky to have a couple opportunities to actually do that uh, with National Geographic and independently. I'm, now I'm working as a fellow at the Safina Center at Stony Brook University um, to explore new opportunities to be able to go abroad and get in touch with wildlife in more exotic ecosystems too, because I think the the music around you that you can tune into right now is kind of a gateway to then exploring what other music is out there and how it changes as you move from place to place. Plus getting out there and recording those sounds yourself is a whole lot of fun, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's another dimension of, uh, this this evolving craft, I guess you could call it, um, is not just working exclusively with natural sound, but then also going out and capturing the sounds myself. Because that, again, gives me more data, more information that can frame my composition as a story on behalf of what we're listening to. One of the things that, that I'm actually really proud about is that you know, here on the Eyes on Conservation podcast, you know, we provided an, an early platform for you yeah. to, um, to to share these, uh, you know, early experimentations in this this new artistic form that you were experimenting with. At that time, um, when, when we were sort of collaborating and we were airing these songs that you were creating on the show, um, you were mostly focused on birds and using birdsong to create this music. When did you first start moving beyond birds uh, and, and exploring other animal vocalizations in your music? That's an interesting question, Matt. I think, for, I mean, first of all, I want to say thank you for your role in helping me test this idea and see where, seeing where it could go. It was really great working with you on those podcast episodes, and it really, it really feels great to come full circle now and and kind of look at where we where we've gone with with this music ever since. And and I think in a couple of our episodes we started to break out beyond bird songs, but it wasn't really until I began creating music based on the idea of ecosystems that I realized I had to expand beyond birds. Birds are one of the most accessible vocalizing animal groups, right? They, they live almost everywhere we do. In a sense, they're a gateway to the natural world, and they are great as, as barometers of an ecosystem's health. But you need to then kind of walk through that door that they open for you. And as I started facing the challenge of trying to capture the voice of a landscape, I realized, well, there are more than just birds here. There are there are all kinds of different mammal species. There are reptiles and amphibians, and um, you know if you go underwater, uh, whales open up a whole new dimension. So it really became uh, just a quickly expanding interest uh, in all animal vocalizations rather than just birds. And birds were kind of my my gateway. But um, it's hard to I guess nail down exactly when the switch got flipped. But I guess what I can say is that. As the music evolved, I found my task was becoming more about recreating the sounds of a place and creating an anthem to a particular place's natural heritage. And our natural heritage is composed of all different kinds of animal groups. And so to solve that problem and to really bring together some of the relationships between not just birds, but birds and other animals in a particular in a particular place, I had to move beyond birds and bring in other sounds. And that was the best way, I thought, for continuing to treat sound as this narrative medium for bringing a place to life and accounting for as much as I possibly could within that place. 
in my mind, at least you keyed in on, you know, w- what I saw as like one of the most important sort of developments or sort of the evolution of, of your craft um, was this increasing focus on on ecosystems. Right. And like sort of trying to create a song that that is representative of an ecosystem that almost like puts you in a time and place and you almost feel like you're there, but in this sort of surreal way you know because you're hearing right. because it, it it's sort of you know sort of a condensed version of like what it would be like to experience the sort of natural soundscape of of an ecosystem right and i think and i think also i have to be aware of the fact that not everyone is as obsessed with birds as i am <laughs> <laughs> you know as we are i should say uh right when we made things like our vulture track back in the day you know that was something that was really exciting for us because it captured how it, well, that's a different thing. Um, but uh, I, I have to realize that people are not necessarily as obsessed with birds as we are. And sometimes the sounds of a a jaguar, for example, or, or a mountain lion, that that kind of iconic roar might be more of, a, of an acoustic trigger for somebody than a bird song, perhaps. So there are a lot of different ways to think about what resonates most with your audience. And as I've tested more and more of these different kinds of songs out with different people, I've always found that some people respond more to other animal groups and it just teaches me more about the ways to bring that place to life you know not necessarily just through one animal group but through a combination of them i'm curious to hear about what you've learned about the diversity and complexity of animal vocalizations you know just over the past couple of years um you know during which you've been really intensely sort of researching and and also experimenting with with a lot of these different sounds i've learned a lot (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm constantly learning new things, and that's why it's so exciting for me. But I think one of the unifying lessons that has come out of all this work is that even though the worlds of music and wildlife may seem very distinct to some people, um, there are actually a lot of different similarities. In the music studio and in nature, sound production follows many of the same rules. For example, to make itself heard, one individual voice or instrument needs to carve out a special place in the mix relative to other sounds in its environment. And soundscape ecologists call this a niche hypothesis, but music producers just call it good producing, you know? <laughs> and and it's about um, building up that, that set of relationships between sounds. And as a producer, you can orchestrate that. But when you go into nature, evolution has orchestrated that. But still, when you are breaking down these perfectly tuned acoustic ecosystems, as I do, and then reassembling them into music, in some ways, the music is already there because these sounds exist alongside one another, not to cancel each other out, but to occupy their own frequencies, to have their own distinct melodies that don't conflict, but rather connect with particular species and send particular messages. And that reinforces that idea that this sound that we hear may be music to our ears, but it's also language. And so that has been a unifying lesson for me as a person working between these two worlds and trying to bring them together. So Ben, I I just kind of wanted to, I I thought it'd be fun here to play um, one of, uh, one of my favorite tracks that you created for the eyes on conservation podcasts. um, Uh And then maybe sort of, uh, you know, show how your musical craft has evolved over time. um, And then maybe play another preview from uh, one of the more recent tracks that, that you've been uh, working on as a part of the wild beat series. Um, So 
uh, one of my favorite uh, songs that you composed um, for our Eisen Conservation podcast series was the piece that you created for our episode about vulture conservation in yes. Africa. <laughs> and, you know, I think I think part of the reason that that this track really stood out for me is, I mean, in one part, because, you know, vultures is that I mean, that's an area of uh, particular interest for me. I've um, spent a number of years of my career studying and working with vultures as a biologist. And also my first documentary film was about California condors. So I have a, a strong personal connection to that particular group of, of birds. Um, but I mean, I think it, it was also, it also really uh, stood out in my mind because I mean, vultures, they're a bird that you don't generally think of as making particularly uh, uh, pleasing sounds, <laughs> Right. Uh, but you were able to take these uh, sort of often bizarre vocalizations that the vultures create and turn it into something uh, really wonderful, I thought. So, um, yeah, let's, let's take a listen to that track. so glad you played that track Matt because I still find it like equally danceable a year later <laughs> even, even though my compositional techniques have, have advanced a lot since that day I still look back on the process of making that song as kind of one of these breakthrough moments we've been talking about because vultures as you said are not necessarily as appreciated as some of the more traditionally speaking beautiful species that we're trying to protect on this planet but they have a nuanced kind of beauty that I think you can only really appreciate the closer you get to them. And listening to their sounds, I, I encountered a lot of the same issues. You know, a lot of these vocalizations are harsh, intense, sometimes really uh, grating sounds. So the process of making a track that was engaging to people ended up reflecting the same challenges that we face as vulture conservationists. You know, how do we present a species that isn't beautiful in the traditional aesthetic sense? and turn people on to what is really amazing about it. And that was kind of that was kind of a moment for me to recognize that this this musical approach might be a cool way to help conservationists as well to think about new ways of presenting their species that they're trying to save. 
you know, I see it in a lot of ways as sort of a parallel to, you know, a, a lot of the work that, that I've done in vulture conservation and in producing, you know, right. this documentary about California condors. I mean, the difference is that I'm doing it, you know, using visuals, and I never even thought to sort of present, you know, the vocalizations of vultures in, in, in this type of way until until you came along. I'm just glad that it worked out, you know, because we were driven by the news that was emerging about vulture conservation at that time. And so our challenge was, how do we approach this musically? And I think we figured out a way to to capture it. And what came out of that challenge was this understanding that music could actually reflect the other challenges in other areas of vulture conservation. But I, I, we certainly couldn't have known it going in. I'm curious to hear just sort of your thoughts about, you know, the evolution of your craft, you know, since this time, I mean, like you said, this was over a year ago um, when you composed this, uh, this vulture song. I mean, how has your approach sort of evolved, uh, you know, since that time? The evolution of my music has been driven by the different kinds of opportunities that it has opened up. With each different context that I've gone into, whether it's creating wild beats with National Geographic kids or doing shows for new kinds of audiences here in New York City, each each audience, if you will, kind of demands a different type of deliverable. And so I've I think I've I'd like to think I've become more sophisticated as a composer and producer as well. And I'm always keenly aware of the fact that I'm still learning a lot in that area, <laughs> to be sure. But at the same time, I have started to incorporate voices from more animal groups and sometimes of what Bernie Krauss, a famous soundscape ecologist, calls the geophony, the sounds of wind, uh, of the landscape, of trees, of sand in the desert, just to kind of continue pursuing that idea of bringing a place to life in every possible way through sound. Um, So a lot of my more recent compositions actually move between the natural soundscape that I mentioned before and my orchestrated version of that soundscape because I like to show in the music itself how you can move fluidly in between them. That's been a really rewarding addition to the compositional process for me is being able to kind of lay out that connection and make it smooth. Does that make sense? I think think, um, one, one really good example of that is a recent composition I did from lemur sounds in Madagascar. And this uses a combination of sounds that I've received from researchers over in Ranamafan National Park, as well as from Cornell's Macaulay Sound Library. Um, but using lemur sounds and then the sounds of birds and trees rustling in the breeze has been really exciting for me because I've been able to kind of create a piece that moves smoothly between those two spaces.
I'm impressed, as always, with your unique abilities, Ben. Um, so thanks a lot for coming on the show and sharing this unique perspective with us. Uh, you know, like you said, it's it's great to sort of come full circle with this, um, having you know you come on and, and present these uh, these unique songs uh, on the pod as a part of the podcast over a year ago. Um, it's it's really great to sort of hear from you and hear how this has evolved um, and where you've taken it. Um, so thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you about this both in the beginning and now it's, it's, it's really fun to come full circle. So real quick, before we go, maybe you can just tell people where they can go to find out more about your music. So if people want to learn more about the work that I'm doing on a broader scale, as well as listen to some samples of my music, they can go to djecotone.com. But if they want to follow me in a more up-to-date real-time kind of way, they can follow me on Snapchat, Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook. DJ Ecotone is my handle for all those things. Same as Twitter. All right, that was our conversation with Ben Mirren, also known as DJ Ecotone, the host of the new Nat Geo Kids show, Wild Beats. It's amazing, as always, to hear some of these new songs that Ben has been working on, but it's also really cool to hear about all that he has learned about animal vocalizations over this past year. The parallels that he draws between the work of the music producer and the evolutionary process in creating soundscapes, I think is particularly insightful. In case you missed it when Ben shared the URL for his website as well as the info for the Wild Beat series and where you can watch that, we will have all of that information on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC65. And since I haven't mentioned this in quite a while, um, I thought I would take a moment here to remind everyone that rating and reviewing this show on iTunes is a really big help to us um, and will allow more people to discover these great interviews that we have to share. So if you search for Eyes on Conservation in the iTunes store and leave us a quick rating and an honest review, that would be greatly appreciated. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidor.